Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a new comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, as always, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices that you're listening to. So I'm Hass Otsman El Howe. I edit the now Eisner-nominated Panel by Panel magazine. I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube, um, and I have written and edited and lettered numerous uh, comics. And I'm Aditya Bedikar, and I letter comics like Isola, Graffiti's Wall, and White Trip. So this week we've got two topics once again. So the format of the show, if you are only, if this is the first episode you're listening to, that might be weird, but I don't know. <laughs> um, but we, what we do, what we normally do is we each bring a topic. Uh, and then we, you know, spend a little bit of time discussing each topic uh, in turn. Um, so my topic this week was something I actually saw you, Aditya, tweeting about, which I sort of agreed with, but then also probably didn't really agree with, but then kind of agreed with, um, <laughs> which was kind of about reverse engineering stories. I'll, I'll read the tweets out uh, in a sec when we get to it, though, and we'll kind of discuss it from there. Sure. And I'm on holiday at the moment, so I've chosen something nice and easy to chat about, especially since we just had the phenomenon called uh, Infinity War. Uh, also, I want people to know that I can have other interests than lettering. So I wanted to talk about crossover storytelling. Before we get started on the topics, we did actually have a question this week, which is always uh, pretty exciting. Um, and this was from Alison Sampson, who uh, has worked with you on Winnebago Graveyard. She drew Winnebago Graveyard. Um, it was written by Steve Niles, I believe. Yeah, uh, coloured by Stefan Petru with cover colours by Jordi Belair. There you go. And so, uh, and she also, Alison also wrote really cool, um, put together like a really cool piece for one of the issues of Panel by Panel about how she did her cover process, which was really interesting. Anyway, um, the uh, she, what she said was uh, pros and cons of artists doing their own sound effects and signage. Yeah. Um, and we, we did actually, well, uh, Nate from Blambot kind of like came in and swooped in and stole our thunder and answered it beforehand. Um, but he, he said uh, his rule is kind of either do none or do all of them. Uh, so yeah. if an artist just does one, then he has to try and make every other sound effect in the book drive with that one. It's a pain and limiting. And a lot of, art, a lot of artists just want to do the fun sound effects. Um, gee, thanks. I get to do everything less interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I've worked on books that I've done both. I've worked on books that I've done somewhere in between. Yeah. I, I visually am always a big fan of seeing uh, artists do their own sound effects. Because right. I think um, they can make them a little bit more integrated. Um, like, for example, the one that springs to my mind is from uh, the first issue of Redlands. So Vanessa Del Rey was doing her own sound effects in that book. Yeah. Um, and she did loads of cool sound effects where like, the writing was kind of like on a plane or on a surface within the art. Um, and f integrated in a way that you just could not do if it was someone else doing it. Right. And that was just super, super interesting. So, so they can be integrated into the art in a way that I, I just don't think would happen with a letterer just because they wouldn't quite have the same access in terms of like tools, original artwork. Does, does, does that make sense? Like they can't yeah. quite get into the same level an artist can. No, I think so, yeah. Because uh, see, for example, uh, we work in Illustrator and we have to supply uh, files in Illustrator most of the time. So I can't do mm -hmm. something like glows if I wanted to. Like these days I can do transparencies, but um, you know, glows are not possible. Then there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that you just can't really do in Illustrator that you can do in something like Photoshop. So, you know, uh, especially since I'm I'm hand lettering my SFX on uh, Graffiti's wall, and when I when I import them into Photoshop, I can do a lot more stuff with them essentially. So mm -hmm. yeah, so there's a limitation to them, and so as a reader, I definitely prefer the artist does them. Uh, 
because I think, again, it's just like, it's just on the page itself, you know, rather than on a layer yeah. on top of it. So I think, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, as a letterer, once in a while, I enjoy the challenge of trying to match styles, um, you know, and I <laughs> yeah. think it's definitely made my SFX work better. Uh, so specifically with working with uh, um, uh, Baths on Motor Crush. So she does a she does around 70 to 80% of the SFX and I do around 20%. And I don't think like you can really tell which ones were hers and my, uh, which ones are mine. And I mm-hmm. that, that takes a lot of work. And I think that makes my work better in the long run. Uh, the problem is when I have, let's say, one day to letter an entire book. Uh, I, this is not going to be, you know, this is like, I'm not going to enjoy doing that because if I have time, I can do it. But, you know, if I don't have the time, it's just like, it's just going to look terrible um, because, you know, you'll Mm -hmm. see the mismatch. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so So, I think, so I think uh, for practicality's sake, I agree with Nate is that either do all of them or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you essentially kind of, paint the letter into a bad corner i think if you only do like half of them yeah yeah like uh i i was working on drifter right and nick klein does his own sfx and he does them Mm -hmm. using the photoshop like brushes that he uses for other stuff and he does these Mm -hmm. very transparent things in the background and stuff i just physically wouldn't be able to do that like that's just not possible at all so so every time we needed an SFX on Drifter, I would actually like just ping him and say that we need this because I, I wouldn't even try to approach <laughs> it. It was just, that's just not going to be doable. Like that, that's the thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it, it comes down, I guess it comes down what we're saying to sort of like integration. On signage, I think uh, it's interesting because perspective comes into this. Uh, like you have to, you have to match the perspective to the artwork. So I think it's not impossible. I, I'm happy to do signage most of the time. But if you need, again, like if, if for example, your sign looks grimy or something like that, and uh, I'm supposed to put lettering on top of it, I might not be able to match the texture quite as well as somebody would in Photoshop. So I have done, what I have done on those mm-hmm. occasions is that once in a while I ask for the original art file and I just integrate the signage into the art file um, and then send it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I need to do specific effects I, the, and stuff. The, yeah. So I've for a few books as well, obviously. And the, the thing that I find with it is that it's okay if you're accepting that the signage will look a little bit like signage. <laughs> as in like it will look like uh, a digital reproduction of something. And I think that works fine for certain things. Because I've, I've received art where the artist has done the signage and they've just done what I would have done. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, you know, they've just got like a font. Yeah, they've just, just kind of laid it in there and it... Yeah, and it, and it works. It works. Yeah, like, but you, but you my, always have like a... One of my favorite examples of signage is actually uh, in House of Penance, uh, when Blambot, like Nate, basically created a gravestone. And I think he actually like did a... created a bunch of layers to kind of imply the etching. Like, essentially, mm-hmm. it's like stone carved, uh, like carved letters in stone, right? And I loved what yeah. he did with that. And that was pure illustrator digital work. You know, once in a while, it's really fun <laughs> nice. to kind of like push through. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sign- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Signage is, I think, uh, I, I, I'm i half and half on this. Like, I, I think I manage most of the time, but there are times when mm-hmm. I would prefer the artist to do it. Especially, let's say, let's say, let's say you have a hoarding or something and it has a lot of folds and a lot of angles, like not just one perspective, but like multiple perspectives. That's yeah. where I would prefer the artist to do it. 
because he's just pushing yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had like, you know, like I've had like scrumpled paper before that came blank and it was uh you know like scrumpled but like kind of like yeah. opened up sort of unfolded paper. Yeah. And it was essentially kind of like four different planes and wrapping the text around that was, was yeah. like, that was a, a lot of work. Right. And then, then I think... And it could have been saved. Yeah. I think I think at some point of time you have to give up and essentially assume that the reader <laughs> will realize that this is digital, but what is being communicated is more important, sort of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the suspension of disbelief is broken for as little amount of time. As yeah, possible. exactly. So we'll do like we'll do the perspective, but we might not get it perfect. Like I, I've actually worked on stuff mm -hmm. where I said that the artist should do something because I thought that they would get the perspective right better than me, and then they got the perspective mm -hmm. off. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, let's see. I, I don't know. So, I, I, I mean, like hand-lettered yeah, I mean, like hand signage in a way that I don't necessarily like digital signage. So I would like the artist to do a lot of it if uh, possible, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and I think the hard and fast rule for the most part for this is, is essentially, uh, please just either kind of do one or the other because yeah. somewhere in between is, is a is going to be there's going to be issues potentially to solve. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Okay, so that's, I mean, we've, we've wrapped that up more or less. We've solved that. We've solved that problem. Yeah, I think so. We solved that. <laughs> yeah. Also, last time we mentioned that uh, Jim Campbell has a wonderful lettering guide available online. So the link to that is in the previous episode's uh, description. But also, uh, I received a tweet from Jim saying that uh, the lettering guide blog entries are probably more up to date than the linked PDF. So he's basically uh, updated a lot of the entries in that. And so if you want the most up to date version of uh, the lettering guide, you should go to his uh, Twitter and then click on his website and you'll see the uh, blog post link there. Yeah, and his blog's uh, URL is also a letterer inside joke uh, because it's clintflickerlettering.blogspot.com. And if you've ever seen the words <laughs> Clint and Flicker uh, <laughs> in a comic book, you can see why that's a joke. Yeah, yeah. You, you, we can let you to figure that. We'll leave you to figure that one out. Uh, <laughs> between the I think that's a good idea. Um, okay, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, my topic anyway uh, to get back on track. Uh, yep. was um, okay so it was about a tweet that you tweeted so what I'll, do, I'll read out your tweet and there was a response as well from uh, Ram who's a writer um, from things like Paradiso uh, and he, I'll read his response out as well because I think that, that kind of sums the whole topic up right. a little bit um, so you, you said I see a growing tendency in creators to think of technique and effect as having a one-to-one -one relationship. It's tempting to think of it that way because it posits art as a puzzle to be solved, which means that you can get it, in quotes, right. But that's not how art works. And then Ram replied with, you cannot reverse engineer art. And it's very trendy to try and do so. The end result is often the paler, more performative version of what the thing could have been. So my initial response to this was that I, you can reverse engineer art um, in the sense that... Uh, Art is essentially when I say well, what I say when I say art is I mean a piece of yeah. art. So, for example, if we're going to talk about like like a film or a comic book, um, you can reverse engineer that to get a sense of what was trying to be done. There is no obvious, there is no obviously uh, real simple like one-to-one um, -one relationship, like you said. That I, there isn't like you can't just look at something and go, "This is exactly what they were thinking at the time of making this," or whatever. Yeah. But there are 
clear there are clear deductions that you can make i think about a piece of work in order to reverse engineer what they were what someone was doing to get you to do something in response so if you go and see a horror film um you can reverse engineer a horror film for example you can you can look at a horror film and you go okay so what they do constantly is they drop the sound out right before a scary thing is about to happen so that they when they bring the volume up for the you know the big shock moment the violins and they go really loud it feels really loud in comparison so they're, they're like you can reverse engineer uh so this is probably maybe more of like a terminology thing, but I would argue that you can reverse engineer a piece of art to find out how that's, it works. I don't think that's what I'm, that, uh, that's what I've, I was saying at all. Like, I think you can absolutely reverse engineer something uh, as an analyst. You know, as an analyst or a critic, you can sort of go back and see the, okay, so this was the effect that it created. Uh, and I think this is how mm-hmm. they achieved it. That's perfectly fine. But what I'm saying is that as a creator, you can't start from the effect. Like you can't be like, I want this to be a scary page or something like that. And then kind of go back um, and kind of um, create the effect uh, that way. Like you you have to uh, essentially uh, obey the commands of the piece itself. Is is that like... Right. But yeah. Sorry. That... Yeah, so but I also have I also don't necessarily w- say that that is 100% true. Right. Because I think that there is there is a logical uh, structure that has been laid down in for example you can read Robert McKee's story, right? And you can go through that book and you can get an understanding of, of structure. And so in a sense you can reverse engineer. No, but I I, w- I would actually that's that's actually interesting because I see so many people depending on that for their storytelling and I don't think they are creating the effect that they wanted. No, because uh, because see, um, let's let's take save the dog storytelling. You know that kind of um, that mm. kind of stuff where um, I want the the viewer to feel something about this particular character, so I'm going to kill their dog or whatever. And at some point yeah. of time, it starts becoming transparent. Like it's not creating the effect mm-hmm. that you wanted anymore because you're starting from the effect and working backwards. But uh, yeah, but I I, I think. So what I would posit is that most is that uh, most things can be reverse engineered in a way, right? Because essentially you can build, it doesn't have to be as obvious as, okay, look at this person, here's a cute dog, we're going to kill this dog, feel something. There is, right. but there are rhythms and beats that are necessary to get someone to feel something about a thing. I think you have to be aware as a storyteller that there are decisions that you are making to get to get an effect to happen. And so I think for you to want to have a certain effect. So for example, if I if I have a story idea and I know it's going to be about a certain character that I've been building in my mind got like a kind of a affiliation for yeah. um but I want someone else to feel that same way about them well then what I would have to do is is reverse engineer why I care about them in the first place. What do I find interesting about them? You start working on a character, you care about them and then you engineer the story if anything like you 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 don't i like i mean i don't i don't know that many that's, writers that's what i mean that's what i'm saying yeah so i don't I, but no but you're saying that you're trying to reverse engineer why you care about the character and then um then sort of like communicate that it's important to me when i write to understand why i find this thing interesting because therefore i can get to the heart of it a bit easier like for okay, so Felix and Macabre, for example, right? That was a thing where I had a, a like a thing I wanted to explore, and I had kind of this idea for this older character, yeah. and I found this older character interesting. But I didn't, I, I wasn't to begin with. I wasn't sure why I found him interesting. So right. I was trying to figure out what was it about this thing right. that I find interesting because that if I find it interesting, that's what other people are going to find interesting. I could just start writing stuff about him, yeah. But I think without understanding the core of it, it doesn't make sense to me. So that's what I mean about 
kind of reverse engineering why something yeah, is interesting. Yeah, but that's I don't think that's reverse engineering. I don't think that's that's what either I or Ram meant when I when we said reverse engineering because what what you're describing is getting to the core of something and then building on top of mm-hmm. it. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I yeah. don't think there's any See, uh, the reverse engineering, the where we, the way we are descri- discussing reverse engineering, it's between technique and effect, right? Right. So, what what sort of we are working on here uh, is that um, I want the viewer to have a feeling of awe. So, I am going to use a particular kind of music that's going to make them feel that, right? The piece of music that is being used is basically the tool through which you're creating the effect but now uh, if 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 that's a one-to-one relationship if that if that piece of music would give you that effect then the rest of the thing like if you're watching the movie and the the scene is probably not going to work as well as you thought because you are depending on this one thing like you're depending on oh i know that this technique creates this effect and i'm going to use that and that's going to feel hollow that's not going to feel um organic that's not going to feel holistic you know, take a take a let's 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 not uh, like I'm not going to try and spoil this, but <laughs> a recent movie um, created a particular beat about one character caring about another character and then having to do something heinous to them, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except the problem was that did not create create the intended effect because uh, the setup happened too near the payoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah for it to have the intended effect. So yeah. uh, as a writer, what was clear to me is that they wanted the second scene to work. So they went back and basically figured out, okay, how do we lead to this scene? How do we make the reader, make the viewer care when this last scene is happening? Yeah. And because they reverse engineered it, it didn't feel organic to the plot. It didn't feel organic to the movie. Yeah. So they it did not have the intent. There's two. I think like uh, I'm just. I'll say it. I'm not. Well, I won't say what happened because there's two examples that I don't know if you're talking about which one. And <laughs> and because we're talking about Infinity War, right? Oh, okay. So I, I, I was. There's yeah. There's two. There's two spoiler th- alert. Yeah. There's two things to me in Infinity War that felt cheap. However, I'm yeah. also aware that the people around me in that cin- in that pack cinema did not feel that same way. On on second viewing, yeah. they may have. So that's I think that's that maybe that's where we, what we might get to. There's a moment halfway through Infinity War where Thanos has to make a decision, yeah. an emotional decision. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. If you're talking about the end one, yeah. both of those do the same thing to me, which is both of them. Will- no, no, no. But, but I was talking about the emotional decision. Okay, but both of them are quite cheap. Um, however, also people around me, like you could feel it in the room when I was watching that film, like it hit them. And yeah. no matter how cheap or, or or not cheap, it was effective. If it stands up to reason, which I think is maybe what we're going to be talking about as, uh, you know, as a longer lasting piece of work that a work that a piece of work that stands the test of time, because, but the but for the room who was watching the first time, it works. So I I think like I suppose it's my my when I said at the start, I kind of agreed with it and dis, or disagree with it and agree with it and disagree with it. We we already spoke a little bit about this briefly. I disagree with it when I first yeah. saw it. You sort of explained yeah, exactly. it a bit, be- a bit better to me, I suppose, and I kind of agree with it. But then the more I thought about it, the less I agree with it. I agree with it in the terms of like you will. I don't believe you will create a great, long-lasting piece of work that relies on having reverse-engineered art to get a, a cheap effect. However, I do believe that it does work to get the effect. It just, it just won't work again and again and again because it works. It does work. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, uh, it kind of does. <laughs> and somebody else uh, tweeted at me about this, asking about formulaic storytelling. Yeah. Now, formulaic storytelling is a little, um, it's it's a little different because it kind of is working like formulaic storytelling by default is reverse engineered yeah. storytelling. I think we're just at this point used to it quite mm-hmm. a lot. So we sort of agreed to kind of buy in to those things in a way that we wouldn't buy into them if we were trying to watch a heartfelt piece of story. Yeah. So um, essentially like in a blockbuster, we are like, okay, so we agree that we have to get through this <laughs> bit so that the hero can have the motivation to fight, punch that guy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the motivations don't really matter that much, but they're supposed to be there. So as long as it's kind of like we've created a shorthand for those mm-hmm. things that oh, this happened, oh, his his wife, whom we just saw for like half a minute, <laughs> died, so now he has motivation. Like, the whole thing about women in fridges comes from, it's a reverse engineered thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get this guy motivation to go on the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what can I do to him at the beginning? And women in fridges is sort of the, like the, so if, if the uh, re- uh, listener doesn't know about it, uh, Women in Fridges is essentially, uh, so Gail Simone pointed out the pattern of how a lot of the time angsty male heroes are motivated by something having happened to um, a woman that they know, like it's usually a wife, sometimes a daughter, sometimes a mother. And that how that gives them motivation to go and like either kill people or punch people or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And the most literal example of this was when Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern comes home and finds his girlfriend stuffed in a <laughs> fridge. Um, <laughs> so that is women in fridges essentially. Uh, so it's now called fridging. So see, um, that's a shorthand. Like that's not... That's not honest storytelling in any way. Yeah, but it, it, that's true. But it, it really just it does depend what you want to do with it. And this is what I mean about um, something that will stand the test of time. Or that, that so see, then, then, then we have to kind of talk about where does a story become like art? As in like, where is, where is, where, when is the line when what you're doing is more about itself rather than external motivations like getting money out of it or whatever. Right, right, right. right. So I, th- I think with Marvel movies and st- stuff like that, the primary motivation is to get money. <laughs> yep. And then uh, there's a secondary artistic motivation that, oh, we want something that is worth the money. We want to create something that gives the audience a certain degree of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And then sort of that's that's entirely almost reverse engineering based storytelling. Yep. But like the more honest moments in those things, uh, the moments that tend to last still come from somewhere like what is this character what what are their motivations and what would they do in a situation rather than what do i want them to do in a situation yeah sure i mean again my argument comes down to uh that to get to that point to get to the point where you've built a character i mean but this is this maybe this is where the definition of reverse engineering comes uh falling apart but you are essentially um understanding the role of each of those moments in your film and then leaning into them to do a specific job. Like each of your each of your your bits, each of your pages, your panels, your frames, your seconds or whatever is doing something. And you I think most people yeah. in terms of like a director or a writer are aware that they have crafted that thing to do a specific function. Yeah. Um, even if even if it's just to look nice or even if it's just to give you a moment to think about something that's just happened or whatever. But there is a but there is 
a decision process that has been made to create that singular moment. This is so. This is what I mean about like everything's reverse engineered in my perspective. Different, different definition potentially. Yeah. Like everything that you, every decision you have made is being done because you have figured out what you want to, what you what this, what this thing needs to mean, or what this thing means to you. I, it, just, it kind of depends which which. See, order but you that's get not into. reverse engineering because see, what something means to you, and then uh, creating something based on that. There's nothing, there's no reverse happening there. Like there's, there's no, like that is quite straightforward. Like that is how a piece of art is created. Like a piece of art is all artifice. Yeah, like but that is reverse yeah. engineering though, because you're, you're almost starting at the end. So? So, so like the, so, okay. So we're at, for example, like you're at the point in your story where you, you kind of going, okay, well, what do I, I need something else to happen here? Like I need a thing to happen to a character to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Um, you know, following this film, because otherwise it's just the guy going to go get like a piece of toast from his uh, cupboard. Like I need something to happen to him. So, okay, well maybe he like fries himself for a second. And then at least we've got something to move the yeah. story forward to get to the point where I need it to go to. Yeah, but that's not reverse engineering. The fact that you need something to happen at a point in the plot is how a plot works. But reverse engineering, this uh, this is uh, like entirely just where the like, definition lies. But reverse engineering, as in you are starting at like the end point, like you're you're going like this is what I need to do. This like there's like I know that there's a function that this story needs to to to, to serve up to the audience at this point, and so you end up working backwards to to get to that point. No, but see, I disagree with that. I don't think the idea that something in a in a story needs to do a certain thing is the end point of it it's it's always the starting point every every scene in a story starts by okay what is this scene doing in this story that's that's not reverse engineering that is engineering like okay okay <laughs> let's uh, i th i think we kind of need to get back to first principles for a moment and kind of pinpoint where the difference is between the thinking here because see all storytelling is artifice mm -hmm. all storytelling is essentially lying yeah and fundamentally you are creating a story to create an effort uh, sorry to create an effect mm -hmm. right yeah. um, where where i say honesty in storytelling where i'm saying um, you know the one to one effect and like how how art is a lot more fuzzy is where um, it's essentially that's where in quotes the magic happens like um, what I'm talking about is the stuff that goes beyond the technique part of it. That's that's the stuff that is honest. That is the stuff that I'm uh, I'm communicating. So um, so for example, I wrote a pro story recently where I kind of um, th it it was a one to one relationship between like somebody's writing a letter to his uh, partner, mm -hmm. and at some point of time, a character keeps occurring, uh, like another character keeps kind of appearing in the story, and I kept. Like I kept understanding that that there's a gap here and that has something to do with this other character, right? And I wrote the whole story and then I kind of figured out that, oh no, the, the gap is the fact that this character, this third character that I just mentioned uh, early on and then kind of became important later needs to become important a lot earlier, right? Right. right. Um, now, how that was happening was when I completed the story, I realized that, oh, this is the effect that I wanted and it's not creating that and so i need to change stuff in the story to create that effect mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. you, you need to know this character a lot earlier etc yep. but uh, the character did not exist because the plot needed him because that is where artifice starts like that's the that's where the artifice starts to show that um when i need something 
here okay. that does this function yeah. and that's something that comes in doesn't follow from everything else in the story yeah yeah you know okay. that is when the artifice starts to show yeah yeah right so if you kind of do that organically enough if you kind of um uh see i i i fundamentally don't think when you're writing a very honest story and an honest piece of art that for, for example people start with knowing the ending like knowing where stuff is going mm-hmm. they kind of like do the outline and kind of stick to the outline i think those kind of stories fundamentally show the artifice um that's that's sort of my opinion more than anything else that's, that's i don't think that's a uh, absolutely objective uh, statement in any way i think that's my opinion where i can tell something that has been plotted and i can tell something where uh, something that was created much more organically and much more um essentially like the author was trying to find it through the art right okay yeah i understand i see that but then i think even at that stage uh the author trying to find something through the art i think for it there is still at that stage then the art of essentially then you're adding the artifice in afterwards essentially because then you're kind of going okay like i've got this but i still need to make it work as a story because not everything like that is going to necessarily work as an actual piece of uh start to finish storytelling so there, so yeah, there is yeah. still I, like I, so i i like i agree with you but i would add that like there is probably i suppose probably my argument into it is that like everything no matter what really unless it's literally just like uh having a getting a camera and just following someone around for 24 hours but even then so there will be artifice is that the ad, the addition of artifice into anything is when it starts to become um a a thing that has been reverse engineered because you're using stuff you understand to have worked before into your work to make it work this time yeah no i i i I see what you're saying and I think uh, it is a much more fuzzy than a one to one like it's see see my statement is still kind of true I think which is that the technique and effect don't have a one to one relationship so for example uh, let's say somebody looks at the scene from train spotting where the camera is in front of uh, Evan McGregor's face mm-hmm. and you know it communicates the disorientation incredibly well and they kind of decide that oh my character has a moment of disorientation in my uh, in my story so i'm going to use this technique mm-hmm. to create that effect yeah. right it's still not going to create exactly the same effect that it did in the previous uh, movie because it came at a particular point in the story uh, where that disorientation was a very sort of organic necessity yeah for it to happen at that moment because the pretty much the entire film is leading to that technique kind of creating that effect sure like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you kind of do it at the beginning of the story or like it's just going to be like oh what he is doing is he's communicating to me that the character is disoriented mm-hmm. but the effect of the the viewer kind of feeling it is not going to be the same effect that was created when the movie owns it yeah 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 you know? sure but, but I, I, again like i'm i would argue that the technique doesn't just involve like the uh, actual visual technique but also the placement because it's it's the same with like a you know like an action film that you yeah. that goes handheld during the during like an action a chase scene but everything else has been say like tripod static shot or whatever like you just yeah. because you wouldn't look at that and just go okay well handheld makes action look exciting it's it's doubled down on because of the way yeah. that the, the structure has been used and like the rest so, of the so so what you just said what you just said is exactly what i was talking against in my tweet which is that a lot of people do seem to assume that 
oh actually uh, handheld will make action more exciting like they look at it as a very one to one thing they look at it as oh this is what i want to do in my story this is how i do yeah. it yeah 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 yeah, that is yeah. The which, only which, thing I, because, which I don't um, agree. I agree. Because, I agree with to a point. Like, but also, yeah. you've you've. I think at that stage, what you've done is non. You haven't understood the technique. I think you've just you've you've yeah. kind of seen like the surface level of the technique, but not actually understood the technique. So I I, I, I do agree. I do agree with you on the one to one thing. I don't like. There is no way that you can yeah. do a thing, and it specifically has a result. Like it's not maths. So it's not. You can't just put two exactly. and two together and you make four. You make. You'll make like you'll make somewhere between like 3.6 and 4.4 and so and, so, yeah. and like people will sit in that scale somewhere so i fully agree with you but i i, right. I, I also think that there is there's kind of like there is a zone as i suppose is what it is rather than one-to-one -one, but there is a zone that you will that you're trying to land in and there are ways to make that for sure more there accurate. is there is a i think the zone is Right, and I think the zone is created from the fact that your viewer has viewed other things before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for sure. uh, your story is not the first thing that they're encountering. Yeah. So, especially these days, uh, viewers are incredibly media literate. So, yeah. like if you look at, for example, Stephen Moffat's uh, Doctor Who. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of problems with it, but a lot <laughs> of the interesting things he does is that he uses that shorthand to kind of just not show you a bunch of scenes mm -hmm. because he assumes that you understand how we got from here to there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have seen this in hundreds of other movies. I yeah. don't need to show you this. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um, coming back to your like sort of uh, the one-to-one uh, -one thing, it's that like a lot of screenplay writers, especially like if you listen to script notes, you'll hear them talking about it quite a lot that uh, script notes of screenwriting podcast. Mm -hmm. Um they they get a lot of queries from screenwriters who say that you know what i put that inciting incident exactly where it's supposed to be but like for some reason like the screenplay is not working <laughs> and their answer always is you put that thing where somebody told you to put it not where your screenplay needed yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and th that understanding like what you uh, the the thing about understanding that you mentioned is incredibly important like uh, a lot of I see a lot of people doing this in comics, in movies, in TV, uh, that they think that that formula will basically solve the problem of storytelling for them, that it'll make storytelling easier for mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. And all that it can do is give you options. It can, uh, it can give you an option to like, okay, I have something to communicate. How have other people communicated this before? Yeah. How, what out of this can I use and what, I would I need to create from scratch? Yeah, yeah. But that's all that these things can do for you, and that's brilliant. That's amazing. Like that's yeah. that's one of the most awesome things about engaging with art. There's yeah. I mean, there is a broader like sense of technique, and I think again, it's like it all it all comes down to like how narrow or wide we're going to define these things. But there is yeah. there is a there is yeah. As I say, there's there isn't a one to one relationship. But there is a there is a vague sense of one. Um, and I think, like for example, there's a re if you've seen adaptation, which is the Charlie Kaufman script, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is all about this. This essentially is it's, it's kind of like this conversation because it, it, it it's structured around uh, an adaptation of a of a, a nonfiction, which is a true true series of articles. I think that appeared in like the New Yorker magazine. Yeah, um, it's, it's an actual book. Yeah, and and so they turn it into this this kind of nonfiction book, um, and then it was about adapting this nonfiction book into a film, uh, and. He, it's, all, it's all about the struggle. It's all about this exact struggle of like, how do you present this 
this thing without artifice. Uh, and by doing that, it, it yeah. is both a film entirely about artifice and without any artifice. Um, and there is a couple <laughs> of scenes in that that like have, have sort of stuck in my mind as we've been having this conversation. For example, one where he goes to a Robert McKee storytelling conference, um, and there is like a whole scene in, in voiceover uh, of the main character, which is um, played by Nicolas Cage. Um, and he's got like, he's you know, we can hear his internal monologue. And then there's a bit where like um, uh, Robert McKee um like shouts out and for god's sake don't use voiceover it's cheap uh and it's like this interactivity <laughs> and that's exactly the point like okay there are rules to these things that you say okay this thing will do this thing but also there are ways to circumvent that and there are ways to play with that um and and, and part yeah. of that is also is, is kind of reverse engineering it because that's what adaptation essentially does is it, it reverse engineers a robert McKee yeah. script or like a standard approach that he puts forward and it almost kind of reverses engineer it so it can kind of mess around with it um and play, right. play it upon itself um i think so yeah to 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 sum up this because I, I i think this actually is kind of a nice transition because it's a kind of like a crossover yeah. story from non-fiction book to film <laughs> adaptation. um but to sum up i that, I, that, I i disagree that that's a nice segue <laughs> anyway i i think i i like i agree with your with your point about one-to-one relationships i i get that i may might personally i i I, yeah i personally maybe less agree with ram's (laughs) point uh (laughs) but i'm also aware that you have a very strong argument for it and we probably and in real reality it probably sits somewhere as a guy who sits on the fence a lot probably somewhere in the middle um but i think that's i think that's an okay transition to move as a crossover (laughs) story because we've moved from one keep telling yourself well if you think about it the adaptation is essentially a crossover because it, it pulls in reality figures as in these characters that actually exist in the real world that this right. in non-fiction book and it pulls in <laughs> it pulls in the writer of the story because charlie kaufman wrote himself into the script uh so it's a crossover yeah, and he wrote himself a fictional brother yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it's a crossover between fiction non-fiction uh so yeah it's a crossover anyway that's <laughs> that's that's a crossover story why don't you tell me about your crossover story <laughs> okay <laughs> all right <laughs> So, yeah, so I was just wondering why, um, see, I I think Infinity War as a movie works rather well. And I was just, so after I uh, watched Infinity War, I sort of binge read a bunch of uh, Marvel's events. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like Infinity and like Infinity Gauntlet and a bunch of others. And I was just, I just kind of found myself interested in how um, crossover storytelling works uh, because it's a fairly peculiarly comics thing. It ha- it happens a lot outside comics as well. I'm pretty sure, like, I, I remember reading the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys crossover <laughs> uh, books as well. Yeah. Uh, and, like, on in, on TV, I've seen Buffy and Angel crossover and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it works particularly well. Actually, no. I wouldn't say it works particularly well in comics, but I would say it's particularly easy to do in comics. Um because you don't have to hire actors and you don't have licensing problems because they're all you know one person owns yeah. all these characters yeah. and stuff like that yeah so um i just i was just wondering about like what do you think of a crossover as a story like um there are some crossovers which to my mind work really well like i know world war hulk is not necessarily the best regarded crossover but i think just as a story it works very nicely like it's like okay um, Hulk comes back to Earth. Hulk smashes, mm-hmm. like, and that kind of does the job because he's just punching various people that you know about. Mm-hmm. And then you have this uh, 
And the interesting thing about World War Hulk for me was that there was the incredible Hulk comic that was going on next to it, which was telling sort of the shadow story of yeah. Amadeus Cho and uh, Hercules trying to rescue Hulk mm-hmm. uh, from himself, essentially. And I just thought that that is something that a crossover can do that just a normal comic maybe can't do. Yeah, like if if I... Or do you have any... Yeah, I mean, if you let me relate it to in the the film first, because I think the Infinity War film yeah. is like a really good yeah. example of something that because I loved it, so I saw I saw it twice, like pretty close <laughs> back to back against each other. And Same here, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And apart from like, apart from like, as I say, like a couple of bits that I felt were maybe a little cheap, I found the whole yeah. to say it's like a two hour forty movie, and I'm very much a person who believes film shouldn't be longer than ninety minutes, like ninety three minutes at yeah. most. But like there, few films validate being longer than that. Um, but for a film that's like two two hours forty, like I sat through yeah. that just super like happy both times. And the reason was is because it, it it was not built like any of the other Marvel films. So the other Marvel films have yeah. a structure um, that's a f- fairly easy to see and somewhat you know simply defined structure because essentially just like a three act structure. Um, yeah. But what Infinity War didn't have to do, uh, and partly is by its form, because it's, it's now balancing loads of different characters, because it's got to do, it's got to do Thanos' story, but it's also kind of got to do a little bit of everyone else's story and catch them up, because most of these films end in some kind of um, cliffhangery way. Well, maybe not quite a cliffhanger, but they end in some kind of status-changing way um, that the next film then picks yeah. up. Infinity War had to pick up like four or five or six films worth of of status-changing endings. And then it also had to do Thanos' narrative. And it also had to bring Thanos to Earth and do everything that happened at the end of the film. And two hours and 40 minutes is not a long time to get all that done uh, in a satisfying way. So what it had to do instead was it had to drop almost all of the character moments. And I hate those in yeah. Marvel films. I'm so bored by them. <laughs> All I want is people, I just want to see people hitting each other. Like, I don't care. Like, I said this on, because I was on David Harper's um, off-panel podcast talking about Infinity War. And I said that. Oh, I listened to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I said, I really do not, I do not care about, like, the fictional relationship between this robot man uh, and, like, the woman whose powers have never been explained properly. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I just want to see him do stuff. And so for yeah. me, it was like, yeah. it was like all the other Marvel movies had all the bits that I personally find boring cut out of don't actually like yeah, yeah. and it was yeah, like you know yeah. they, they just kind of all the action bits and i so i was just riveted because it's it's almost wall-to-wall action and i think that's what yeah. crossover is allowed to do much much more than a singular story because in a singular story if we're following just a thor story we're going to be wanting to learn stuff about thor or whatever in a crossover we already the assumption is we already know who these people are so we don't have to worry as much yeah i mean this is you know this is this is not 100% true of every crossover story, but just generally, you don't need to lean into as, as much no, and I think, about the individual's characters. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. And I think that that is where comic crossovers a lot of the time drop the ball uh, because uh, like the difference between a comic crossover and um, Infinity War is that Infinity War is a unit. Infinity War begins and it ends and mm-hmm. like... It's written by the same set of people and it's directed by like the same set of people. Yeah. Now, in a comic book crossover, you tend to have the main storyline going, which is trying to give you that, which is trying to basically be like, okay, whenever we need a thought to have a character moment, that he can do that in his um, series. Yeah. He doesn't have to do it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the advantage. But what happens is that um, when Thor goes into his comic, 
to have his moment, uh, that's a different writer writing it. Yeah. And then it's going to do disservice either to the main storyline that Thor is going through or the main storyline of the crossover. It's never going to be entirely satisfying. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of the problem. Like Infinity War was allowed to be its own thing. Like uh, I think I think one of my favorite... I think my favorite crossover ever full stop is Seven Soldiers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because it is written by one person and it is the entirety of the crossover. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There are no times. It is like the whole thing from like Seven Soldiers 0 to through all these series to Seven Soldiers 1 is a single event. Yeah. It's It's not tying into other stuff it's not trying to do justice to somebody else's version of Mm -hmm. a character Mm -hmm. uh it is the thing so i think that is where um comics can drop the ball uh so that modular storytelling aspect uh i think infinity war could do that because it's just like oh we are like we go to titan it is this set of people and we're going to follow them for a little while and then Mm -hmm. we kind of switch over we kind of switch over which i don't know if yeah, sorry. Well, I was, actually, I was gonna say there because there's a bit of a difference as well in that it's, I <laughs> like there is there can be an assumption, especially based on how much money Infinity War made, that for the most part, most of the people going to watch like Guardians of the Galaxy are probably also going to go and watch like Captain America, and they're also probably going to go watch Black Panther, right? Is that for the most part yeah, we yeah. like it, it requires a couple of hours, like once every six months. Like, that's the investment that right. the Marvel films ask of us. Yeah, that's not that much investment. Yeah, yeah. And so when you go and see Infinity War, there can be an assumption, and there would have been an assumption on the when they made that, that people know who these people are. Like, you, they haven't... They, they didn't need to be reading, like, the past, like, 20 issues of Thor to understand, like, when he pops up in this event comic that you maybe you aren't reading that Thor issue, uh, the Thor series, and he pops up, and you're kind of like... I might need a recap on who Thor is or what's happened to him in this time. Like, because he looks different yeah, now. Yeah. Right? And like, I've had that when I've read Marvel comics before, like the characters popped up and I've been like this, I don't know who this, what, like what's gone. You, you look very different than last time we met. Um, whereas in the films, there can be a natural assumption that you've probably seen it. Um, and if not, it moves so quick anyway, that it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, that's the thing with infinity war. Like even yeah. if you walked in that, like we saw it with a friend who hadn't seen black Panther. And I was like, you will not need to see black Panther to understand this film. Like, it it, it, no, it, just, because... it moves so quick you don't need to have that grounding but i think comics like an eight issue marvel summer event for example i think it, there yeah. is it's a little bit more difficult because you've got a lot more storytelling and so therefore you end up putting a lot more character moments in that which can be difficult if a you don't care about thor or b you're not really following thor yeah yeah i i agree i agree with that because um when i was reading infinity uh I, the first time I read Infinity was when I was uh, reading everything that Jonathan Hickman had done from Fantastic Four to uh, Secret Wars. Yeah. And Infinity kind of made sense in that context because I was reading the story from the beginning. I, I had been introduced to all these characters as they had come up, etc. Mm-hmm. But this time when I was reading Infinity, it's it was just a bunch of scenes for me. Like I, I, I did not get a story out of Infinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be- because there were so many characters who, oh, like so, this person has this motivation, but I am absolutely unaware of it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know who this character is. I don't know what their motivation is in this scene. Mm-hmm. See, in a way that in Infinity War, uh, when the Black pa- when you go to Wakanda, 
you kind of all you need to know is that this guy is the king of Wakanda. You just saw Wakanda seems to be like a technologically advanced African country. Yeah. Um, and you see these women are his bodyguards and one of his bodyguards then goes and fights all these monsters. Mm-hmm. You don't actually need to know their names. You don't actually need to know who they are because all the motivation is contained within the scene. Which is the one thing that I think comics tends to fail to do because they assume that you're reading all of these other things or yeah, yeah. they want you they want you to read all of these other things. Mm-hmm, so and I think I think that's a little bit of a pity because I would love to read more comics like Seven Soldiers where uh, I come to an event, I get that crossover sensation, but I don't need to know anything before I start reading it. My, right, okay. So, and I don't need to read any other stuff. Yeah, well, I've got the perfect thing for you. Uh, and uh, I wish they were yes. paying me to, to, to promote them. Um, but they're not. Well, <laughs> but I've got the, I've got the, the like Valiant. Valiant, I bought uh, a humble bundle for year, two years ago, something like that. Um, yeah. And Valiant Comics, they gave you, it was like a bunch of superhero stuff, right? They've got their own superhero universe. And what they essentially, yeah, what they did yeah. was they built the, they built their Avengers in what was called the Valiant. And it was, like, it was only like four issues or five issues. It wasn't very long. I, I, I read, read that. that. I read that. And yeah, I loved it. I loved the artwork, but mm-hmm. I, I sort of didn't care about any of the characters. Well, I had the I, I had a different I don't know I had a different reaction. I thought I like I I fully it was I didn't know who any of these people were. Like I had not read any of their stories, um, and right. Valiant was much more like closer to something like the Infinity War film than I think any of the comics yeah. have come to. Because what it was was very tight. Um, there was a little bit of there was a little bit of emotion, but not like mostly. I think it was just like a bit of like um, what's his name, Bloodshot. There was like a bit of Bloodshot emotion, but for the most part, it was just kind of doing stuff. And I think that's what yeah. I I struggle with is when I, when you're getting people to do stuff that I don't know or I haven't bought into or I'm or, or I just I'm just not interested in for the most right. Which those things are not your fault really because it's like okay, I should have been reading Thor the past 10 years of Thor or whatever, I don't know. But it's like, it's, that's not your fault as a comic that I don't care about some a subset of these characters. Um, but there, yeah. you just have, but I think you also got to be aware that a readership, you know, isn't going to be reading absolutely bloody everything. And what the Valiant did was yeah, it just, yeah. it presented each, it introduced each of these, I don't know, five characters or whatever it was in very, very, very succinct ways, like super quickly. It was just like, they were tropes essentially <laughs> to begin with. Um, which is which is yeah. also if you haven't seen any of the film and you go and see Infinity War, it's more or less what you'll get from that as well. Like, okay, Peter Parker's on a bus; he's a school kid, uh, but he's also got a spider suit and he's does some super. Like, it, Doctor Strange is a dude who lives in the crazy big mansion, does superpower and does like magic powers. They, they essentially kind of yeah. do get you to ex- like explain very very quickly who these people are, um, but then they get on with the, the story so quick you don't have time to not ca- like to not to worry about if you don't care about them. And I think the Valiant, what the Valiant does, or Valiant generally is they have a really good understanding of like a really tight uh, superhero uh, world. And that's probably the bigger problem with Marvel or DC um, is the tightness of the world around them. I think yeah. what DC have seemed to have done in recent years, I, 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 like this might be just from my experience of the ones that I read, is they have done like little crossovers, like mini, mini events, but like only through like one or two books. So like there was that Batman button, yeah. which was basically just Batman and Flash. It was like four, four issues long, two issues of Flash, two issues of Batman. And it was, it felt like a kind of cool event, but it was just contained to Correct. a small, a small thing. And I, I picked up those issues yeah, of Flash you used to because have I, didn't, a lot I, had, I didn't do anything to not read them. Like it, it still made sense to me. Correct. Yeah. You used to have a lot of those in the nineties. And uh, I think you still do, even in Mar- even at Marvel, you still have those like Spider-Verse was kind of like a, yeah. like you, you, it was a fairly small event and it was 
really nice it was again like a single mostly a single writer thing and very tightly controlled uh, room let's mm-hmm. say and you know <laughs> yeah. and again i think i think you could just read spider verse on its own and it is like he does introduce like every new characters coming in and like lets you know what their motivation is like for example i think i believe you've been following morlan the like the one of the main antagonists for a while before but when spider verse begins he kind of reintroduces him like he just mm-hmm. gives you a little bit of a hook again yeah and i think the 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 there there are there were three uh books going recently with female versions of spider-man of some sort like yeah. spider-gwen silk and spider-woman and they i think had a crossover at some point of time where it was just like oh this uh, like essentially two issues of each series creating a six issue crossover yeah that's cool yeah yeah that was that was pretty nice as well like because um then they had to kind of like you could sort of be reading uh one series and be like oh uh, she is meeting these other two people and then getting involved in their story for a little while and then coming back to her own story yeah or you could be like oh i'm reading all three of these and this is the event this is the ma- massive event and this uh, like you know? but this is the thing as well is is it's it's kind of like getting it's figuring out what you uh want from a from an audience because like i have my own particular thing that i would want to see i have less interest in characters like uh just kind of like standing around interacting but there is also a a big like part of the fan base that like gets super excited about the idea of you know spider-man and doctor strange like standing around having a conversation or whatever because when else is that going to happen and so yeah. you have to end up having to cater to quite a few people. So you end up having to cater to people like me, maybe that just want kind of action. You end up catering to people that want yeah. more human interaction. You end up catering to people that have read everything. So you don't want to talk down yeah. to the people that have read everything because that's going to be boring. But also you might end up only getting people who only read Spider-Man, but also like Spider-Man's in this big event now. So I want to check this big event out. And you don't want to have Rem read the first issue and be like, I, "What? Like this literally has done nothing for me. It's made absolutely no sense. So it's, I, like, it's, it's comics is a really hard one to balance because there are so many comics coming out every week like there are so many different yeah. kinds of, of people you've got to cater for and people really wanting different things that what i i guess happens is you kind of try to give everyone a bit of everything so they so in each yeah. issue is a bit of character a bit of action you know a bit of interaction a bit of whatever um uh, but by doing that i don't are you ever gonna be are you ever gonna make like an amazing thing that is singular in its focus i don't right. think so. it's it's a very functional yeah it's a very like um you know it's like a mcdonald's burger version of storytelling because like where storytelling is basically you know there's an unending sequence and you just sort of like need some happenings dotted around in it sort of yeah which is which is i don't think very satisfying for me at least yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I think it says it speaks to me that the two most satisfying crossovers within like a superhero kind of world have been Infinity War, which, as I say, was mostly just action, and the Valiant, which was, as far as I remember, mostly just action. Mostly like just it got, action. Like, got into it. Really quick. <laughs> yeah, see, for example, like I read the Valiant, and I think it's a perfectly functional story. It's just not a story that I particularly enjoyed. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, on the other hand. Um, my favorite crossovers are the ones where you do get the character moments mm-hmm. um but they sort of embedded in the larger canvas like i don't want one person to go through too much angst i like <laughs> like uh, okay um collective angst. i think denise will probably like agree with me on this uh, that one of the best crossover event storytelling things was actually grant morrison's jla uh mm-hmm. because it treated every like, issue yeah. like yeah it it treated every arc as an event 
mm-hmm. like this is the biggest thing happening in the dcu at the moment mm-hmm. and what you got in it was these con- condensed versions of every character where every character is going through something like for example flash will be going through uh, this uh, like okay so um, the the flash is like the new flash it's wally west so uh, he's mm-hmm. thinking that oh i'm just a guy and these people are gods like how do i stand alongside them etc and then uh, two issues later he'll have a moment where he pushes himself and he'll achieve something and then superman will come to him and say like who was the like oh, why why like why did you doubt yourself in the first place obviously much better written but um, <laughs> but basically something like that where there are these character moments coming through but they're sort of um, there are nuggets rather than an arc like there's no there's no deep exploration of anything but it's just very kind of you know doled out very nicely and then you so you get mm-hmm. the action you get the character moments and you get the snappy dialogue or like the sitcom stuff as well <laughs> yeah 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 you, but again you, he had the luxury of like being the only writer on the event essentially well do you do you think um do you think it's it's difficult i suppose do you think like these big events should have to balance uh, a kind of like um, uh, a moment for every character in every issue, or do you think they really should just be focused on a specific thing? Um, where you know, for example, you're going to tie Spider Man in, but maybe Spider Man only is required for like one little bit of one issue or whatever. Or do you think like when you do a big a big blockbuster where you're saying well, I'm going to use all these characters, that each character should have a kind of equivalent amount of stuff to do? No, I think I think it's fine for like I I think that would just create a an incoherent mess like you look at infinity war um i would say that um the one character with actually a prop like uh, among the heroes the one character with actually a story going through is mm-hmm. thor because like thor yeah. actually has stuff of his own happening yeah. with everybody else their own character arcs are not really proceeding in any way they're just participating in this bigger story yeah. so i yeah, think yeah. that makes a lot more sense that um you know, let's say um, what? See again, World War Hulk. No, sorry, uh, World War Hulk. It's Hulk's story. Everybody else is participating in Hulk's story, mm-hmm. but it's everybody else. So I don't think. I think um, here, what you can do as a writer, uh, like again, this is sort of a fairly mechanis- mechanical way of looking at a story, but. Uh, you kind of look at Hulk's story and how it needs to go. And then you look at the characters who can provide that for him. And then you look at yep. their usual characterization and see if they can fit in this. Like you need a, mm-hmm. like sort of a clever pants and you go to like, um, I don't know, like um, Reed Richards or uh, Iron Man, or you need, yeah. you need a, like a, a man on the ground perspective. You go to Spider-Man, uh, you know, that kind of like, it, it needs to be one central story and everybody needs to play a part. But that the part they play needs to feel individual in some way because this was the this was the problem I had with Infinity that I think there were maybe eight moments scattered throughout the crossover where I felt that oh this character needed to be this character at this moment and right, the moment yeah. that they just had is appropriate uh, yeah. to the plot as well as to their character and I think mm-hmm. that is the mm-hmm. biggest balancing act that a crossover needs to do that everybody's participation needs to feel like it makes sense. Like it okay. doesn't mean yeah, yeah, yeah. they doesn't need to justify it because you know these are superheroes. If there's a crisis, they're going to come and fight. But the moment that you're showing for each character needs to make sense. You can't just have the you know uh, massive spread with all these characters dotted around like every two or three pages just to show that oh, everybody <laughs> participated in this. You know? Do you think? Do you think, think that we're like? 
I was going to say, do you think that we're looping around a little bit again into a discussion of what we talked about okay. in the first half? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, okay. Um, one thing I did want to bring up in this particular aspect is that um, crossovers don't always happen in this particular way. Crossovers also happen in, um, like, um, so when they happened on Buffy, for example, Buffy and Angel, um, they never, like, it was never uh, one story. Like, for example, like Buffy episode 20 and Angel episode 20, if they crossed over, it's not like that is a two-parter. It is what, what would usually happen is that Buffy would have a story and then at the end, there would be an either an artifact or a little plot point that would then mm-hmm. be passed along to Angel and then there would be another story which yeah. would take that into account. Uh, for uh, mm-hmm. like... In Buffy, there was a point when uh, a vampire gains this ring that makes him uh, able to walk in the sun and, you know, you can't stake him or something like that. Then Buffy and her gang defeat him and then um, Oz, like one of the characters, takes that ring and goes to Los Angeles and gives it to Angel. (laughs) And then Angel has a story related to that ring. So that's a a very interesting way of doing a crossover where you're not actually... um, like you're not actually disrupting anything happening in the main series, whatever series yeah, you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, and I think television crossovers tend to so, do that. Uh, yeah, and that, but that's all, and that's the thing is because again, it's 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 kind of with getting into the crossover as heart of like as as almost like business structure. Um, yeah. Because TV crossover is a <laughs> is a lot more difficult because you've got essentially two like completely different writing teams two completely different people like staff members crew members um whereas comics is it's a bit it's a bit more integrated because you might have an editor who's working on you know like a hand like you're, you're in, we've got an editor who's working on your entire realm of books like the x books or whatever um and then right. you've got an editor who's working on you know the, the spider books or whatever so you've got someone that's involved in a lot of storytelling and you've got the summits and you've got writers uh who are writing multiple books you've got writers who'll be writing a book and then also the, the crossover event um so they're, they're 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 weirdly a lot more integrated but yet they can typically uh, like feel quite separate a lot of the time is that because like you were saying yeah. earlier like unless they're balanced well you end up getting like these tie-in series that that maybe don't really ever do anything apart from just offer a little bit of story, but we know they're not going to do anything because everything has to take place in the main series because that's what people are buying. So yeah, it's weird that you end up with a much more integrated sort of um, unit of people, but but you end up with things that may potentially end up feeling less integrated. Do you, would you say, do you think? I think I, I would agree with that. And I think it's because... Um, I think it's because uh, when you're doing TV, you're always assuming that let's say let's take the mad about you and friends crossover you're gonna assume that somebody who's watching friends might not be watching mad about you yeah and the th- like the best crossovers are the ones where if i'm reading just a series i never noticed that there was a crossover yeah like that's yeah, the yeah, best yeah, yeah. kind of crossover that i can read a series completely independently and it never even comes up you know, so for, uh, for, for yeah. I was reading Infinity Gauntlet, the original thing. I never knew that it was a crossover. I just thought it was an event comic. Like I just, I just thought that oh, Infinity Gauntlet one to six, that's the story. But it seems that it actually had a lot of tie-ins as well. Like 
like plot points kind of going like so basically when the people disappear um, it's actually relevant in the other books as well i just i just didn't know that i just thought okay yeah. infinity gauntlet that's it that's the story and yeah, yeah, i was yeah. delighted about that then then i found it out so that is in nice is nice to me but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. see it's not fun to be reading let's say i buy uh, issues 1 to 60 of a comic it's not fun to like feel that there's an issue missing between 26 and 27 just right. because like yeah. oh, this part of the story happened in a different book yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but that's also right. what that's what like Hickman's avengers new avengers did didn't it in the lead up to infinity was you couldn't yeah. you essentially couldn't read you couldn't really read just new avengers i mean well i guess you can yeah. read whatever you want but it, it doesn't really work <laughs> to just read new avengers or or just read avengers you kind of like th- that was he was writing one story um just across the two se- like the two series wasn't it it was essentially yeah. a book that was it was essentially like double shipping a book wasn't it because he was just writing the same thing um yeah pretty much it and, was coming uh, out every couple of weeks yeah uh, yeah exactly and uh i think that's that's the point of view but i think that's a very short term point of view because i think we we are kind of um, we are very used to the monthly cycle so we kind of think about the story as it is happening now we don't really think mm-hmm. about somebody who's reading this 10 years later um, yeah 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 and i think if more people did that that might lead to better storytelling i don't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> well how about because this so like, what, what yeah what, sorry what Well, what is what is your for you? What is the ultimate crossover? What is your what has been the the crossover that has worked the best for you, and why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. I would have to say Seven Soldiers again. Okay. Uh, although that, I'm, I, I retain a lot of, of one writer. Pardon me. Is that entirely because of just having the one writer? Do you think? Um, having a very clever writer, I would say. Like he's trying. <laughs> Yeah, because he's he's taking advantage of the way he's telling the story. Like he's, I think he took full advantage of the format. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say that uh, I loved Alan Moore's crossover, uh, Swamp Thing crossover with Crisis on, uh, on Infinite Earths, because mm-hmm. he kind of appended the idea that uh, the crisis was the main event. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So essentially, what is what happens in Swamp Thing is that uh, it's it's. essentially a parallel event like a parallel mystical event uh, happening like a crisis and that's actually much more important and the actual crisis on infinite earths it's just is just the reflection that the other superheroes are seeing you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that i think was an interesting way to engage with a crossover um let's see on the marvel side i would say i quite thoroughly enjoyed spider verse Uh, but again it wasn't perfect but it was enjoyable <laughs> i think i think for oh, me okay. i think for me well i think for me my i think my favorite is actually infinity war as a film um okay. i it, it i think it's been the it's been like the crossover thing of anything i think that i've enjoyed the most um yeah. i've like i i'm never i've never been super keen on the crossovers generally um But yeah, I I I mean, I don't know if the Ultimates counts. I really like the Ultimates, the original two volume Mark Miller uh Brian Yeah, that's that's that crossover. Yeah, like for just as JLA like is I can I can say that it's like a crossover but it's not an actual. <laughs> it's not an actual 
Well, in that yeah. case, in that case, it's got to be Infinity War for me because it just it did yeah. it did it that felt so much that felt like the most Marvel film that was designed for me that I'd seen. Like that yeah. was like the thing. It was where exactly it was like, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like sit down, get a big bag of popcorn. We're gonna put it on a big screen, make it real loud, and then we're just gonna have loads of stuff happen for two hours. And I was like, yeah, it, it just like that. That I feel like that's what crossover should be about is about bringing everyone together. So you can just have them like smash into each other or stand together to fight a big evil enemy that they could never defeat themselves. But ultimately, yeah. like leave the character character like the character storytelling is what I would argue. Uh, not, <laughs> no one's going to agree with me, I'm sure. Not, um, not, but leave, the, but leave that stuff to the to individual comics and just, let's let's have the crossover just be a the big action set piece that takes place at the heart of it all. Correct. Yeah. So basically, your favorite crossover would be World War Hulk then, because that's exactly that. I really like I mean, World War Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. main the main one is just smash bang action, and every all the character stuff is done in other books. Yeah, 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 I really like that as well. Yeah, yeah, I would like to. I would actually like to go back to the days where, uh, like, I would like to have more of these tiny crossovers where one book is crossing over with another book. That's like mm-hmm. just the small bit. Uh, I would like more of those. Um, yeah, they they they're, they're better to me because I, I do think you end up with a like because for example with DC I. Uh, don't read a wide selection of DC, um, but the DC that I read for some reason typically ends up being bat focused. So when the little bat crossovers come up, that that like they work okay for me. But if if it became like a massive Justice League kind of big massive crossover thing, I it probably wouldn't be the sort of thing that I would pick up because um, yeah. I kind of enjoy my focus in that in that realm. However. The little mini Batman-based crossovers, I think, are super awesome because it's like yeah, I'm still, yeah. I still get to read like a fun, you know, like fun out of his element kind of Batman story, but I don't have to like go beyond what I want to read. If that makes sense. Correct, and also it might actually introduce you to another book that you're genuinely interested in. Like rather than having to buy twenty tie-in books, I I, I would be okay with buying one tie-in book. Like let's say. Um, yeah. I don't know. Let's say X Factor crossover crosses over with uh, Cable and Deadpool or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'm reading Cable and Deadpool and then you know I pick up I just have to pick up two extra issues of X Factor and then I might discover that I like the book or something. Uh, you know, I yeah. Those I, I like those. I like the idea of those. I like they are commercial minded but they do pay off as well. <laughs> so there's a bigger payoff for your money, I would say. Yeah, and they're also they're also a bit quicker. Like like the Batman one, for example. I mean, not everything's double shipping, but the Batman one, for example, is then you end up getting to you end up getting essentially all like four issues of that story in one month. If they in weren't double month, shipping, yeah. you end up yeah. getting yeah. If they weren't double shipping, you end up getting two 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 issues of the thing you were reading essentially in one month, yeah. which is cool for you. Like like I would happily take more. Um, if you know, if people can handle it, which uh, is more the issues than anything else, like I'd much rather take like two issues of of like a story in a month, and I would take one because I just want to read more yeah. of it. And if I enjoy it, I just want to read as much as I can of it. Um, so that's that's what I quite liked about that is if you cross it over with another book as opposed to necessarily a big separate book. Um, but obviously, you know, fiscally, it doesn't make sense for a company because they, they can sell you a third book rather than uh, you know. Uh, they can yeah. sell you another book often too, no, but, and, but, see, that's... It's, but it's it's less probably less long term viable because, like you were saying, like if I read Flash uh, in that crossover, I might just start picking Flash up now. Now, now I'm buying another book forever, or for as long as it entertains me. Whereas it, if it was like a six issue crossover, maybe I'm buying six issues and then that's it, and I'm done. I'm moving on. To, I'm going back to my Batman book. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the the smaller crossovers, like the single book crossovers, take advantage of the shared universe, while mm-hmm. the massive crossovers are kind of 
that's the pressure of the universe that's that's the sort of like the negative side because suddenly every book you're reading is irrelevant if it's not to do with, <laughs> you know right. so yeah. yeah so i think that i think that joy of the universe shared universe needs to be em- emphasized a little more these days than mm-hmm. the, that's a really that, yeah. that's a really cool way of thinking about it because that is that is the difference i suppose is like the batman flash crossover is like a is like a fun little cool crossover that kind of can only exist really in comics in the way it did whereas the big earth shattering six issue series that destroys everything that you know about the world as it is is t- it's almost like too big to be interesting in the little books it's like what yeah. what, what am i going to read it what am I, like if the world's ending uh yeah. why am, what am i going to read in batman like like what okay. like what the fuck's What's going to be anywhere near the, <laughs> the pressure? Um, like yeah. the world's dying, but also Batman's still going to go, go cook his lobster. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not. It's there's what you're not going to be able to present anything to me that's anywhere near on the scale of what I'm reading in the other story. So like why? Yeah. Like it's not going to be. It's going to be by default not as interesting. Yeah, like I remember uh, when Secret Wars was happening. Uh, all the books ended in the last days. Um, thing mm-hmm. like every like the last two or three issues of every book were about the last days, and some yeah, of them yeah. used it very well. But there were others which was just like it was spectacularly irrelevant. It was just like <laughs> this is a perfectly nice book that suddenly has to kill everybody in the book, or like right. end right. on a point yeah, where yeah. everybody is gonna die after this, and it was just like no, yeah. Really, yeah. no, that doesn't that doesn't really like I, I actually really enjoyed Secret <laughs> War was as an idea. Like I really enjoyed the let's call it bravery of a publisher basically saying that all our universe is going to end in this one story and then yeah. it's going to be an entirely new universe for a little while before oh, I love that back. yeah i don't think I it in practice it worked very, worked very well but it was a nice idea i had, i had the battle world fold out map and everything i loved it <laughs> the old like it was. I thought it was awesome. I love the old man Logan story, and then like crossing over into the other worlds and stuff. Yeah. Like that was the, that maybe that maybe was the ultimate uh, crossover event, wasn't it? It was Battle World. Um, yeah. But that was. I thought it was. I, I thought it was fun. It, it was fun because I knew it wouldn't last, but it was really good fun. Like it was fun just to yeah, be like, well, yeah. this is crazy to do this. No, absolutely. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think it was um, as good as it could have been, uh, but um, I just enjoyed the bravery of doing that. Like I, I was just like, I liked mm-hmm. the idea of. Uh, you know what, like, Jonathan, like, we are going to end our line not because we need a refresh, but because Jonathan Hickman has a story that ends in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that attitude. I like, like, one of our writers just had a really, really fucking cool story <laughs> that we just had to. Like, the, the thing that they keep saying in interviews, which is that, no, the story demanded it. This was an actual example of the story demanding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay. So, what do you? So, to wrap up the crossover uh, theme, what is, what for you is your ultimate crossover? What, like, which characters would you like to see crossover? Ooh, okay. This is this is interesting. <laughs> because I tried, like, as a kid, I thought that the DC Marvel crossover would be the most amazing thing in the world. Like, I knew it was happening, but I couldn't actually mm-hmm. read it. And then, as an adult, I read yep. it, and I was like, this is. I'm not enjoying this. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I would like I again for me it would be like a two to three character crossover, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I would like to see a continuing series of Spider-Man and Superman. Like oh, really? I think those two characters, good friends. Yeah, like. Um, 
just just kind of a continuing series like not a, not exactly a crossover okay. i would kind of want a team up book almost it, i think that <laughs> okay. i think they, they kind of bounce off against each other in interesting ways yeah 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 yeah. That's yeah. That's that. I think that's like the first time I've ever heard that yeah. being pitched. That's that's cool. Huh, but I don't um, think that's an interesting answer. Like, what would be an interesting answer to this? <laughs> uh, I think oh. my 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 one is my one is. Um, I would love to see the like the the, the Netflix like street level Marvel heroes cross yeah. over into the the movies Cinema. just to Ooh. see how like utterly irrelevant they would be. <laughs> Like I think it would be so interesting. I think do you know because you know, that because that is essentially it's like that would actually be like taking the monthly book and putting it into the big event crossover because it's like what can what what can their little you know sort of small kind of like local area issues right? Uh, it's like take it's like taking like a local councillor and then putting him into like into like the presidential <laughs> race. It's like it would be interesting to see what they could do because would they just think differently would they work differently because their their fights have been different like or what do you know, or would they just get smushed immediately either way it'd be yeah. interesting to see yeah I, I like that idea i think although that is very similar to <laughs> what black widow already is in the avengers stuff but at least she's a spy like i think this this would be much more interesting to see like this is just yeah i just like to see like yeah, I'd like at the end of Infinity War, I would just love to have seen like you know like Daredevil pop up, <laughs> just help. <laughs> like I don't know why he would have he would have given, killed instantly. I think, but it's just been cool to see him like, uh, or, you know, Punisher would have been will, like really useful. Like just bring a bunch of guns and just shoot everyone. <laughs> like I, I would like to have seen these characters that exist in this because it is a little bit grittier, um, yeah. like in this kind of like grittier like down to earth where. Like like worlds, uh, just see what they how they would work with like Captain America. I'd be interested to see that. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I I, I would like to see that. I'm game for that. Although I would, okay, I would actually well, like, I would actually like to see a comic series like that where, um, like kind of like Damage Control, except during rather than after. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like during the big event. Yeah. <laughs> it would be it would be nice to see like it would be nice. To, yeah, it'd be nice to see like the weird, uh, like weird quirk. They should ah, no one will buy it. But like, this is just a weird Hassan idea. I'd love to see like weird quirky, like, um, like like uh, like a, a, an ongoing that ran a parallel to the event. That each issue was just like an anthology almost, where each issue was a separate story of just like a regular person. Like I think they do. The, like one day it was like, did they oh, do just that? Just regular person, not not a character. You mean? You mean? No, no, just literally, just like a regular, like, like it, like the first issue is just like a reporter who, like, uh, his family gets killed in, in like when, when the, like the alien smashes through the first building. And it's just like a really sad story about them coming to terms of like living in this like superhero world. Yeah. But the second one is maybe like a street cleaner guy who's been assigned to kind of like clean up the debris. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I just want to know what's, I just want to know what's going on with these people. Well, uh, the, in that case, you might want to read Astro City. No, I love Astro City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. yeah, but I want I want to see that alongside the the like the event. Like I want right. to see like you know like how does that affect the guy who has to go and teach school in the morning when <laughs> like at, like actually in the middle of like Infinity War? Do you know what I mean? Like I want to see that. I want to see those stories. Maybe that's my ultimate yeah. crossover is is real life and superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah, Astro City. But like within within like the, maybe like the Marvel or DC universe. Yeah, 
that's a, I would like that. I would like to see that. that that's, that's a good. So that about wraps up the crossover talk. So thanks for checking out this week's Letters and Lines with a Ditcher and Me. You can find the podcast at all the usual places that you can find podcasts, including, of course, we're on iTunes now. And you can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and at my website, AdityaB.net. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan Oe. Plus check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine at panelxpanel.com. Thanks for listening.